Well, hello, Pastor Matt here. Just want to take a moment to say thank you for tuning in to this message. We here at New Life Baptist Church hope that in making these resources available to the public, that we'll help to edify the body of Christ at large, and that you personally will increase in your knowledge of God, leading to a deeper love for Him. Well, I'm so glad Brother Art couldn't have said it any better. You know, we should be very excited to be here this morning. You know, it, it is different, and it is very strange, and it might be that way for a time and a period, uh, but we know that God is in c- control of all things, and we are grateful for, for whatever it is that he allows us to do and to take part in, and we're going to give him glory no matter what. Amen? So... We're in Colossians, people. You know where we're at. Let's go ahead and flip there. We're in Colossians chapter 3. While you're flipping there, got a couple of things to talk to you about. It's going to be Colossians 3, 15 through 17 this morning. And we'll get to that in just a bit. But a couple of things to talk about. Number one... um, We are thankful that we're here, but we want to also look forward to the day where we can truly reopen, where we can resume activities, have Sunday school, uh, be here for Wednesday night, you know, hug each other, um, all that good stuff. So we're thankful for this, but we want to also look forward to what's to come. With that in mind, what are your expectations when we come back to service? What are you preparing for? What are we preparing for as a body of believers? I'll tell you one thing. This has been such an opportunity for us to actually reset. And really, just like the same way we have all kinds of computer issues back there, and the biggest solution is to turn it off and turn it back on again, it fixes 95% of the problems. In the same way, this is kind of our turning off and then turning it back on again. But the thing is, we want to come back different. We shouldn't come back and just want to go back to the same old, same old, same old. We bought a, a patio set the other day for our new place. And when you first look at it, uh, I'm sorry, I bought a, a, a barbecue grill for super duper dirt cheap. And from a Facebook garage sale site. And whenever you first look at the picture, it's not much to look at because it's it's little older, it's dirty, it needs to get cleaned up. But once it gets cleaned up, guess what? It's going to make some awesome steaks that I might burn. <laughs> but it's going to do exactly what it was made to do. It just needs to get freshened up. And in the same way, you and I here at New Life Baptist Church, we need to get freshened up. We need to knock off some of the cobwebs. We need to clear off some of the dust. We need to stretch our legs again and remember what it was like in those early years of service to the Lord when you were passionate and you were excited and you could not wait to do something else for God. You couldn't wait for a door to open for you from God so that you could run through it and say, here I am, Lord, send me. When we come back together, really, 
that needs to be our heart, is that we're here to serve one another, but most importantly, we are here to serve God. So with that in mind, we're going to look at our passage today, and we're going to actually, it's just so funny how God is, you know, we've been working our way through Colossians, and we just so happen to fall on this portion of scripture on this day. God is really, really funny. So if you will, let's stand together. Let's read Colossians three fifteen through 17. This is the word of the Lord. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, thank you so much, God, for this morning. Thank you that we're here gathering with the saints, Lord, singing unto you again, sitting under your word again together, Father. Thank you, God, for opening up this small crack for us to come back in and enjoy this time together. Lord, but we don't want excitement alone to rule this morning. We want your spirit to move among us, Lord, to give us clarity in your word. We ask this morning that you would open up our eyes and our ears, the eyes of our heart to see great and wonderful things in your word that we have not known. Lord, and I pray that as I speak, that it would be your words only, God, not inventions of man or my own preference, but your word, and that it would find fertile ground in the soils of all of our heart that it would bear much fruit for your glory, God. I pray this in the name of Jesus, amen. You can be seated. So, as we're working our way through Colossians, we understand, and just as a refresher, Colossians is written to believers. Colossians, it was a church in Colossae, and they were called the Colossians. That was what they went by, just like we were or Texans. If there was an epistle written to us, it would be to the Texans or to the Wolferthians. Whatever, however you say that, I'm not sure. So, this is written to a church, so everything in here is going to primarily apply to the church as a body, but then it's also going to apply to the individual believer, because a church is made up of those individual believers. But we need to first consider the context of this, the application to the church, So as we read our passage this morning, it was written to the church body to let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to let the word of God dwell in you richly, and to whatever you do in word or deed, to do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. That was written to the body of believers. So that's the context within which we're going to consider our passage this morning. Now as we do that, We need to first understand and establish what is the church. Now, I know that might seem like a silly question. What is the church? Well, first of all, 
The church exists universally. So the church is a body, it is a group of redeemed sinners who have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's what we are. We're all sinners. And we've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And that's the commonality that we all share in common with Christians across the globe, but also across history. So we have brothers and sisters from the 1700s that we've never met. If the world exists in the year 3000, we will have brothers and sisters in Christ that we will never meet until that day when we all stand together singing unto the Lord in glory. But we have brothers and sisters all across the globe and across time and space. This is the first understanding of what the church is. It is often referred to as the body of Christ or the bride of Christ. You'll remember last week that we talked about the, the church is God's, Christ's holy and beloved. The church is a precious, treasured uh, uh, body in the eyes of our Lord. He treasures his, his church. He gave his life for his church. So then, how should we live? If we belong to him and not to ourselves, how should we Live, And we'll get to that. I don't want to get ahead of myself. But the question is not, do you go to church? The question ought to be, are you in the church? Because the church is the body of Christ. And in order to be in the church, you must be in Christ. Being here this morning, as exciting as it is, is not your guarantee that you are in the body of Christ. It's simply that you are located this morning at 818 Main Street, which just so happens to be called New Life Baptist Church. But are you this morning in the body of Christ? Are you in the church? That is the first understanding of, of the church, is that it exists universally and historically. It's not a who, I mean, I'm sorry, it's not a what, it is a who, and it's made up of, as Isaiah 43, 7 says, it's made up uh, for God's glory. That we are all here. God has saved every one of us that, that are truly saved in Christ. He has saved us for his own glory. That's Isaiah 43, 7. All of those who are called by the name of the Lord are, it is done so for the glory of God. But the second understanding of the church is, is this. It's locally. It is a local gathering of redeemed sinners who have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. So though we say we are going to church, yet the question really needs to be asked, are you in the church? See, the church, as New Life Baptist Church or any local body of believers, is designed to be one one body, not, not a bunch of mixed agendas, not just a bunch of pew fillers. The church is supposed to be one, and we exist unto the glory of God, serving, worshiping, doing all in the name of the Lord Jesus. That is the second understanding of the church, and it's that understanding that we're going to look at this morning so we're going to see from our text here, we're going to see six different K 
characteristics of a flourishing church or a healthy church. Six different distinct character traits that any church that is healthy, not big, healthy, that what, what, do, what makes that church so healthy? We're going to look at six different marks this morning. Now, I want you to remember as we studied chapter 3, as we opened up verses 1 through 10, we're dealing with your personal holiness. So number one, this isn't going to make our list today because this is really a given, but number one, the m- number one mark of a healthy church is that it's made up of redeemers who are uh, of believers who are pursuing holiness. If you personally are not pursuing holiness in your life, then you are not truly in the church. You go to a church. Does that make sense? Because it's, this is the body of Christ. And Christ's body was saved and redeemed to pursue holiness. We saw that in verses 1 through 10. You can go and refresh your memory there if you disagree with me. But that is our primary objective as believers, is pursuing personal holiness. So keep that in mind as we move forward this morning. Now, also, there are six traits that we're seeing from this text, but the goal is not to just have two out of the six. Okay, we don't want to say, well, at least we have one. Well, you know, we've got two of them, so we're doing pretty good. Now, granted, we want to celebrate any victory as it comes, but we want to shoot for six out of six, right? We want to have for us what God has for us, right? So that's what we're shooting for. Number one, the number one characteristic of a church that is flourishing is that it is a church that is loving. Siri's talking to me, I'm sorry. Uh, the number one characteristic is a church that is loving. Brother Ernest, my thing's not working here, so you might want to help us out. And that, we got that from uh, last week, from verse 14, 314. So we're really not going to spend a whole lot of time on that today because we did last week. But the number one characteristic of a, a healthy church is that it's a church that's loving. We can have the other five characteristics and not have number one and completely fail. You know 1 Corinthians 13 that says, if I, if I can speak in the language of angels but have not love, I have nothing. I could prophesy. I could play music skillfully. We could have the best music here. We could have the nicest building. We could give millions and millions to missions across the world. But if we have not love, we are bankrupt. So the number one characteristic of a church that is healthy, it's a church that's loving. And you can review that in verse 14. But you can also write this down, John chapter 13, verse 35. John 13, 35, he says, this is Jesus speaking. He says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Isn't that something that the number one, the one thing that Jesus says that's going to set you apart is your love for one another. It's not prophecy. It's not healing. It's not anything that we would associate with spirituality or that we would associate with something that's immediately impressive, 
The thing that Jesus says is going to be the distinguishing factor between you and the world is love. And we can only love if we have the love of Christ within us. So we're going to move on to number two. This is peaceful unity. You see this from verse 15. He says, to let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. That, that word your is plural. It means all of your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. One body. We were all called in one body to be at peace with one another and to be unified. That means we may have differences, which we do. We may not see everything eye to eye, which we won't. We might have different preferences, which we do. We might live a little bit differently, which we do. But at the end of the day, do we have Christ in common? Is our common ground that I know I am a sinner redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, and if not for his perfect atoning work on the cross, I'm lost. If we share that in common, guess what, brothers and sisters? We can be at peace. But notice the language that Paul uses. Let the peace of Christ. You know what that means? Get out of the way. Get out of the way. So often, I, and I am a problem solver, okay? So this one hits me in the gut. I am a problem solver. I want, you can ask my wife, I want to solve problems. I want to. But a lot of times the way that you solve a problem is by getting out of God's way. Let him do it. You know why? He's a lot smarter than us. He's more loving than you and I could ever be. He's more gracious. He's more merciful. It's his plan. It's his world. It's his creation. It's his life. It's his gospel. It's his church. It's his word. It's all his. So how do we let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts? If I don't feel at peace, I go to God in prayer. Pray to him. God, I need you. I need you. One of the greatest pastors and preachers that I love to listen to, his name is Paul Washer, and he talks about how the greatest prayer that he prays oftentimes is him looking out the window with no words in his heart other than to say, you know. You know. You know why? Because our prayers, are, we're, not, we're not informing God of anything. He's not saying, he's not listening to your prayer saying, really? I did not know that. Oh my gosh, well, hold on a second. Let me put my shoes on. Let me go do something about that. No, your praying is to get you in line with his sovereignty. To remember, I come to God in faith and trust him in faith that whatever he does, whatever he works out, whatever plan he wants me to to, to, to undertake, whatever path he's going to take me on, that it's better than anything that I could come up with. I'm going to trust him. This is not the kind of prayer that you come to him and you, you demand that God do something for you. This is the kind of prayer where you come to him and you submit to his sovereignty. 
God, you're in control. God, you know all things. God, my life is yours. Have your way. You can guarantee 10 times out of 10, that prayer is answered. God's going to have his way. We just need to get out of the way and let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. That word rule, listen to that, rule in your heart. That I'm not going to be disturbed by other things, by humans acting like humans. Listen, all of us, every last one of us, can be difficult to get along with sometimes, okay? Let's just put that out on the table, can we? Every last one of us, myself included, none of us are perfect here, right? We've all got something. We all have a tick in our eye or, or a weird way of saying hello. We all have something that makes us just a little, I can deal about 17 minutes with this person and I'm done. We all have something. But what we need to do is allow the peace of Christ to rule in our hearts. That doesn't mean that, oh, I guess I'll just deal with this person. Oh, here they come. No. This is being called in one body. That means we're unified in our understanding. Again, this all goes back to our understanding that we're only here because of Christ. That's the only reason why we're here. And it's the only reason why we keep coming back. And it's the only reason why there's breath left in our lungs. And there's the only reason why our record of sin is canceled in the courtroom of heaven. It's because of Jesus Christ. We need to let that rule. Ephesians 4.3, write that down. Ephesians 4.3. It's talking about, it's almost the exact same passage. And he says, eager to maintain the unity of of the spirit in the bond of peace. That means peace is holding us together. And as believers, we need to be eager to maintain that unity. We need to be eager to maintain that peace. That's why a few verses ago, Paul instructed the Colossians, hey, bear with one another. Forgive each other. Why? Because we need to be eager to maintain our peace on our unity down here. After all, if God has made peace with us through the blood of Jesus Christ, there is no reason whatsoever why you and I should not exist in peace. There's no reason. Because the God, the holy, righteous God of all the universe has, has made peace with us. So really, what could you ever do to me that I haven't done to God? and understanding that, and forgiving, and moving on. We are united in our love for Christ, because he first loved us. None among us can claim that we came to Christ on our own accord. He drew us to himself. He loved you first. He sent Jesus Christ in love to the world. To do what? To save sinners which all of us are. So we all have in common the fact that we were first loved by Jesus, and because of that, I am now empowered by the Spirit of God living within me to love others. Number two, 
I'm sorry, number three. Scripture driven. Look at verse 16. He says to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. The word Paul is using for dwell, is, it, it means to inhabit, to live in. Let the word of God live in you. That means that the Bible, the scriptures, should not be a visitor in your mind. It should not be a visitor in your heart. It should not be a visitor in your eyes. The word of God should live there. But guess what, folks? It only lives there if we pick this up. It only lives there if I set aside time in my day to get this book and open it up and say, God, here I am. Please speak to me. God, please reveal your word to me. Tell me about you. What are you like, God? What do you want from me, God? Otherwise, we have no chance of allowing the word of God to dwell in us richly. So this applies to you personally, first of all, because it cannot dwell among all of us if each of us is not taking it upon themselves to be in the word, to be Bereans, like from the book of Acts. That means don't take Pastor Matt's word for it. I appreciate that you have enough respect for me to trust that I wouldn't lie to you, but don't trust me. Go look in the Word. Pick this Bible up. Matt said this today. I'm going to go look at that. That struck me. I need to go read about that. Any other pastor, any other preacher, I don't care if it's John MacArthur or John Piper or any of these guys, Go see for yourself. The Word will always confirm the Word. The Spirit will always confirm the Spirit. That means that there's no such thing as, well, this passage means to me, blah, 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 blah. No, it, it means what it means. It was written by, for a purpose, with a purpose, on purpose. God was not... Uh, inspiring the apostles and the prophets to write things down and just say, you know what, this is really just art. You kind of interpret it how you want. And everybody else will have, you can all have your own version of what my word says. That's cool. No, he spoke. It said, thus says the Lord. Thus says the Lord. That means that it means what it means. The scriptures mean what they mean. Now, we can all have our own opinions, sure. But as soon as your opinion conflicts with the word of God, throw your opinion away. You know why? Because we're not trying to be right. We want to know the truth. The moment that I understand that what, what I've been holding to is, is not true then I don't care if I'm right anymore. I throw that away. I need to know what the truth is. Why? Because Jesus Christ said you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. He didn't say you will know a version of the truth. 
He didn't say you will know a variation of the truth. He didn't say you will know your own interpretation of what I said as the truth. He said you will know the truth. And then he went on to say, guess what? I am the truth. So whenever we all come to the scriptures and we say, well, brother, you know, I the way that I've always read this, great. But that's not what it says. Because Jesus said what he said. Now, let's understand that there will be other applications of Scripture for different parts of our lives. There are different ways to apply the Scripture to your life, but that never changes what the Scripture means. The Scripture will mean what it means, and then we will have application in wisdom. Isn't that what Paul just said here? Let's look. He said, teaching and admonishing with one, one another in all wisdom. That wisdom comes from God. That's not my opinion. That's not my understanding. That's not, well, so-and-so said. That's not even what Pastor Matt said. That wisdom comes from above. And as we seek the Lord, James says, if any of you lacks wisdom, ask. Ask God. Ask God for wisdom. He possesses it all. He's an eternal fountain of wisdom. Ask him, and he will freely give. These are the scriptures. We must be, uh, have a high view of this word. Now, teaching and admonishing one another, as, as Paul said here. Listen, I might be the teaching pastor here, but I should not be the only teacher. As Paul wrote here to the Colossians, he said, teaching and admonishing one another. That means you to you, all of you in here, and whoever else God decides to add to this body, that we teach and admonish one another what the word of God is saying. And we allow that word to dwell in us. We don't just read the word and move on with our lives. We allow it to dwell and take up residence in our home. And we chew on it. And guess what? Sometimes that might mean that you write down the scripture on an index card and you take it with you. Be intentional with it. Be on purpose with it. Don't just hope that one day it'll happen. Do it. Go for it. If you have the Spirit of God in you, pursue Him. Pursue Him with all that you have. Because rest assured, He gave His all for you. This shows a personal responsibility that all of us need to teach one another the word and when necessary, even to correct one another. That's what the word admonish means. It means to correct each other. Teaching is, is instructing. I'm letting you know this is what it says. And then admonishing means, hey, you're not doing what this says. Now, there's a way to do this in love, of course. You don't want to go beat someone's door down and say, hey, listen, you heretic. Unless, of course, they're being a heretic. Then by all means, Call, the, call it out. But with one another, when we are in error, when we are living in sin, the word of God says, teach and admonish one another. Correct one another. 
We live in an age that is so afraid to offend one another. But listen, there's not any way to be a Christian and not be offensive. Why? Because we live in a sinful world. And sin is adamantly against holiness. Adamantly. They are at war. There is no such thing as peace between holiness and sinfulness. So if we want to be people of the word, a church of the word, and individually people of the word, sometimes we're going to offend people. It doesn't mean walk around trying to. You know, we don't want to wield this as a hammer. But sometimes it is going to need to be offensive, and that's okay. It's okay. Jesus Christ offended a lot of people. They they said that he had a demon. He offended people so much. Imagine that. But it also applies to our music. You see how he goes on to say, singing psalms and hymns in spiritual songs. Let the word of God dwell in your teaching and in your singing. So that means when we sing songs, they should be songs rooted in Scripture. We should sing about the gospel. We should sing about Ephesians and Romans and Deuteronomy and Leviticus. We we should sing about these things. Why? Because this is the word of God. This is life. Why wouldn't we do these things? You read through the Psalms, you see just the same way that we can be guilty, a preacher can be guilty of teaching only one side of God, all love, 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 love. We can also be guilty of singing about only one side of God. Love, 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 love. He's more than just love. He's so much more. He is love. But he's also righteous, and he's holy, and he's everlasting, and he's almighty, and he's everywhere at once. He's sovereign. We ought to celebrate all of God's attributes. You read through the Psalms, and that's exactly what happens. Even in the Psalms, they rejoice about God's wrath. Imagine that. Imagine walking into a church today and you hear a song about God's wrath. It would be so foreign to our ears, wouldn't it? But this is a life modeled after the word. And we'll get there. It won't happen overnight. But we'll get there. We need to let the word dwell in us. Next, number four. Gospel-centered. Verse 16. Word of Christ can have a dual meaning. It can mean the word of God, but the word of Christ can also mean the message of Christ, which is the gospel. Church, if we do not have a heavy, heavy emphasis on the gospel, we are lost. It has to be about the gospel. The gospel is what empowers characteristic number one, love. The gospel is what empowers characteristic number two, which is peace and unity. The gospel is what is found in being scripture-driven. And the gospel is going to be what empowers the rest of our characteristics. And because of the gospel, we're saved. 
because of the gospel, all sinners have the hope of being saved. That means in our Sunday school, that means in my preaching, that means in our song, that means in our communication, in our talking to one another. The gospel is not for VBS. The gospel is not for first-timers. The gospel is not just for lost people. The gospel is for anyone who is in Christ. It's for anyone. It's for all of us. We can never hear the gospel enough. Why? Because it is central. It is everything the gospel, the scriptures say, are the power of God unto salvation. Without the gospel, you're not saved. If you have not heard the gospel, you are not saved. I don't say that to be mean. I say that because this is what the word says. And I don't want to give you false assurance. Because the gospel is the power of God. It's the gospel that is the power of God unto salvation. It is the gospel that brings dead sinners, dead in their sin, back to life. It's the gospel. It's everything. That's why in our motto, it's devotion number two, that we will be a church who is devoted to the gospel. Because without the gospel, church, I'm not here. I'm gone. I might be dead right now. I don't know. But it is the gospel that saved my life. Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Here, yet again, the gospel is offensive. Why? Because it tells sinners that if you do not change, you go to hell. That's offensive. So to some people, that sounds mean. That's why people change what the gospel says. But the reality is that the gospel message is that you, as a sinner dead in your sins, that you are dead in your sins. That means that you abide under the wrath of God. God's holy, infinite wrath. And should your life expire at this hour, and you die in your sins, you will be in eternal conscious judgment for the rest of eternity, where you are just experiencing the wrath of God. Why? Because your sin is an affront to a holy God. Your sin is hated by Almighty God. And trust me, none of us have ever hated anything the way that God hates sin. Why? Because he is holy, and he is righteous, and he cannot even look upon sinfulness. But everyone among us here, everybody who's ever been born into this world, we are born into sin. We're born with this nature. So you can think, well, I'm a pretty good person. I don't really think I'm a sinner. I see sinners on the news. They steal and rob. No, the, the word says that all have fallen short of the glory of God. All of us. That means me. That means any pastor. That means everybody has fallen short of the glory 
of God. So that's the condition that you and I exist in. But you see, God is not only wrathful and holy and righteous, he's also loving. So he sent forth his son, Jesus Christ, to come into the world that he created. He created this world for him and by him and through him are all things. Everything was created by Jesus and through Jesus. And he came into the world that he created. He was born as a baby. The God of the universe born in a manger to a virgin. He lived a perfect and blameless life, the life that you and I are supposed to live, but we never will, we never can. But Jesus did it. And he went to the cross, and on that cross, he bore your sin. Think about that. All of the sin that you have ever committed, that I have ever committed, that anyone who would ever come to saving faith has committed, was in the body of Jesus Christ. He who, became, who, he who knew no sin became sin. And on that cross, as he bore your sin, God the Father looked at his own Son and poured out all of the wrath that was stored up for you and for me on his Son. And his Son took it all. He drank all of the cup of wrath, leaving none. And he died on that cross, showing that he indeed was fully man. But he didn't stay dead. He was resurrected on the third day, showing that he was also fully God. And he rose up to heaven where he is now seated at the right hand of the Father, given the name above every other name, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And if you, though you are dead in your sin, if you will respond to that message, by turning from your sin and repentance and putting all of your faith in Jesus Christ alone, the scriptures say that you will be saved. Praise God for the gospel. It's everything. And inevitably, this will lead us to number five. This will produce in us gratitude. This is found in verses 15, 16, and 17. He says, and be thankful in verse 15. In verse 16, he says, with thankfulness in your heart. And in verse 17, he says, giving thanks to God. We have nothing that we can give to God except for our gratitude. You can't give him good works. You're not good enough. You can't give him enough love. He is love. You can't give him authority. He has all authority. You can't give him your money. He owns your money. You know what you can give him is your gratitude. Thank you, God, for saving me. Thank you, God, for clearing my record of debt against you. Thank you, God, for making peace with me through the blood of Jesus Christ. Thank you, God. That gratitude will fill your heart and it will empower your service unto the Lord. So that we not say, listen, I understand, we're a small church. We all have to wear 42 different hats around here. I get it. It gets tiring. I get it. You're human. But whenever we focus on what God has done for us, 
when we focus on what Jesus did for us, when we focus on the gospel, he will renew our strength to continue to serve and pour out everything for him. You know why? Because we know that great is our reward. I don't know about you, but I want to rack up a crown so heavy that it clings as I drop it before the Lord in heaven. Be grateful. Be joyful. Why? Because you're saved. If everything's going wrong in your life, there's a pandemic. If you get coronavirus, be grateful. Be thankful. Be joyful. Why? Because my sins are gone. I'm saved. What more could I want for want in this life? What more can I want than to have a relationship with my creator? There's nothing else. There's nothing else to pursue. And as we are peaceful in unity, loving one another, immersing ourselves in the scriptures and cherishing the gospel, it will produce in us joyful gratitude. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 Give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Lastly, God glorifying. Number six. That's from verse 17. Whatever you do this morning, New Life Baptist Church, Whatever you do in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord. That's what I love about Brother Art. He says, to God be the glory about every other sentence, doesn't he? I love that. I love that because yes, amen, to God be the glory. We're not here for New Life Baptist Church. We don't do what we do in the name of New Life Baptist Church. Don't do it in the name of Pastor Matt. Don't do it in your own name. It's in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that he be glorified. This church, this church sorry, exists unto the Lord. And all that we do and all that we teach and sing is to be done unto him. But I want you to notice a special word here. He says, do. Whatever you do. Ephesians 2.10 says that we were created anew in Christ Jesus so that we could go sit in a chair in a church. Oh, wait a second. It doesn't say that. It says so that we can just kind of kick back and relax and have a good life. Oh, wait. It doesn't say that. It says that you have been created anew for good works. You're saved to get put to work. Because we don't live for this life, church. We live for the next one. And as we pour out our all, as Paul says it himself, I'm being emptied like a drink offering. As we do that, we should go to the grave exhausted, ready to see the Lord, ready to be in glory with him, ready to enter into our eternal rest. As we look forward to really and truly reopening these doors, let us not do it without refocusing our heart 
on what truly matters. We must not go back to the way that things always were, but instead passionately pursue Christ, earnestly desiring all that he has for us. In the meantime, let us be a church that is loving, united in the bond of peace, scripture-driven, gospel-centered, joyful, and grateful. And when we live this way, we will glorify God. Please stand.